Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lean. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. So this was just recently published in 2021. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy from NetGalley. So um, all of the reviews I saw for this book compared it to Red, White, and Royal Blue. And it made me realize we never read Red, White, and Royal Blue. So we might need to fix that if it is the new like benchmark comparison for any queer romance I, I think it is i think it's like the new benchmark for queer romance for new for queer rom-com i should say fair um yeah because definitely was like i don't know what this means and i'm looking at every review and all of them mention it so shit i think we missed something <laughs> not ours though because we didn't mention it because <laughs> neither of us have read it well let's read the jacket for this one which does not refer to red, white, and royal blue. Dev Deshpande has always believed in fairy tales, so it's no wonder that he's spent his career crafting them on the long-running reality dating show Ever After. As the most successful producer in the franchise's history, Dev always scripts the perfect love story for his contestants, even as his own love life crashes and burns. But then, but then the show casts disgraced tech wunderkind Charlie Winshaw as its star. Charlie is far from the romantic Prince Charming ever after expects. He doesn't believe in true love and only agreed to the show as a last-ditch effort to rehabilitate his image. In front of the cameras, he's a stiff, anxious mess with no idea how to date 20 women on national television. Behind the scenes, he's cold, awkward, and emotionally closed off. As Dev fights to get Charlie to connect with the contestants on a whirlwind worldwide tour, they begin to open up to each other, and Charlie realizes he has better chemistry with Dev than with any of his female co-stars. But even reality TV has a script, and in order to find happily ever after, they'll have to reconsider whose love story gets told. Guys... I'm sure Elaine is going to edit that so that it's like wonderful. That was the most difficult book jacket to read out loud. Oh my God. That's all I will say. I need a drink. I don't have one. This is a problem. <laughs> all righty. So issues with the jacket. He's not a producer. He's a handler. Like I think his title might technically be producer, but his job isn't like making behind the scenes decisions. It's working directly with usually the women. Yes. But in this season things with the tables get turned and he's working with prince charming himself yeah so if you are a bachelor fan slash viewer slash reader of bachelor gossip that they are called producers so they're like yeah, yeah the producers do this and my producer did that um so i think she did a good job of got it if you are not familiar by the lingo in the text too mm -hmm. i was like wait producers like there's a head executive producer who's run the show. I think calling him the most successful producer in the franchise history is not what anyone else would have said. They said he's the most charming. He's the easiest for cast to work with. But I think the way that's presented, if you're not in Bachelor world, it's a kind of confusing sentence. Okay, wait. Um, before we continue, FYI, guys, I, Meg, am a huge Bachelor. I, I hesitate to say that I'm a fan, but I'm a longtime viewer. I watched one season when I was 12. So 
I know a lot about The Bachelor. Lane doesn't know. She, what she knows, she knows. I know a lot by extension at this point, but clearly <laughs> not everything. <laughs> the way I know a little bit about baseball because of you. <laughs> yep. Um, Charlie, it's not that he doesn't believe in true love. He's not interested in it for himself, but he's right. not like the 1700s romance hero who thinks love is a lie because his father cheated on his mother and then she ran away to Italy. And he's like, oh my God, you're killing me. You're right. It's not that at all. He's just basically, he was convinced to go on the show because he lost his job. He's basically like the Bill Gates or the Steve Jobs of some tech company. And he was like the tech guy. He was the guy who had all the ideas. Um, and then he's recently been actually fired, asked to step down from his position. Uh, and he hasn't been able to work. And he's like, I really want to work. Like, I really want to get back into the game. And to do that, he's like, well, I will make myself the most loved man in America by being the Prince Charming, the Bachelor. Which, if he, I guys, it doesn't work. You do this become like his like, idea. Yes. It was his producers and he just went along for the ride. So he's not scheming as a character, just to be clear. But I think like presenting it in romance novel terms of he doesn't believe in love is inaccurate. Full stop. <laughs> yes. He doesn't believe in love. Mm, I will say he has never experienced love. Well, and he definitely has doubts about his own capacity to engage in a meaningful relationship with another human, whether romantically or otherwise, it is not some like philosophical issue with the concept of love. <laughs> no, but he's been sold the idea that if he is Prince Charming, then he will become popular, well-known, and people will be like, yeah, you should give him his job back, basically. Well, and he thinks that presenting this very curated image to the public will alleviate some of the concerns that the tech industry currently has about his his ability to be a face for a company. Yeah, absolutely. So as usual, we generated our own summaries to see if we could top the book jacket and uh, we generated a random number to do so. And this week, the random number was 14. Take it away, Meg. On camera, Charlie is handing out roses. Off camera, he's questioning his sexuality with his producer. Um, I quibble with your summary. He's <laughs> handing out tiaras, not roses. I I I hesitated writing that in my summary, but I was like, fuck this shit. This is The Bachelor. I'm going to call it The Bachelor, even though it's called Ever After. So sorry, guys. Sue me. Okay, so it's The Bachelor, but... It leans even more heavily into the fairy tale elements. Right. So, like, people are walking around in crowns and they visit, like, castles. And there are times he has to wear, like, the epaulets and the, like, full Prince Charming getup from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I mean, they do that on The Bachelor, too. So, not all the time, but there are, you know, the fairy tale dates or there's all, there's like, okay, The Bachelor airs on ABC, right? So very often there's like the princess date. They don't call it that, but you know, they they wear the thing that looks just like Cinderella. I'm just, I'm just saying. Okay. So you're missing out on this franchise. I'm talking out my ass apparently with all of this. <laughs> oh, what's right. your summary? Charlie leads a dating show for his career, not love life. 
best laid plans. That's right. I I actually like I do admit as a bachelor fan I loved I loved it. Uh, you know what? We have to get into this afterwards. Let's talk about it, the Get Fit Workout for the Billionaire Tech. Yeah. So it's um, instead of workout constantly to keep the erection at bay, it's workout. My, my favorite workout so far. Yeah, it's workout constantly to keep the OCD at bay. Yeah, so just know going in, guys, that um, mental health is is a huge theme. Yep, in this book. I also want to say that I, I thought there were some similarities between Charlie's character and Joshua Templeman from The Hating Game. Oh, interesting. Uh huh. In the way they used exercise specifically to work out pressure they felt to conform by their families. Yeah. And I know Joshua didn't have like OCD and he was trying to be forced to be a doctor. Like it was a very different dilemma, but I did feel like it was interesting to see how differently like working out as a stress reliever, but also like as an aspect of what you can control. Yes. Being presented as like not, totally a mentally healthy thing and the difference between it being presented here in this book that is very serious and like has very fleshed out characters and treats mental health very seriously and deliberately versus the book like the hating game where like everything was fluffy and strawberries and sugar plums and yeah. i love that but it was just there were such similar characters in that regard to me that's, that's that i think very so funny how differently they're handled well i i think i'd throw in one other character as well i you haven't read this book yet lang but I think we will be reading it soon. It's from uh, Trade Me by Courtney Milan. And the main character there, he also works out to have one aspect of his life that he can control, basically. Is he also a blonde god who um, people just stop on the street to stare at? Correct. Love this trope. So at this <laughs> point, we are getting into trope territory with this baby boy. Mm-hmm. So this, I guess, is sort of a workplace romance. I think it definitely is, right? Yeah. I mean, Deb, for sure, is working it. Well, and Charlie's under contract, too. That's true. It might be a non-traditional workplace, but the major conflict of why they can't be together is because they've made this commitment to work. That's true. And I'm just, this is really funny to me, because the next trope that Lane has identified, again, I don't do a lot of trope identifying. The next one is pretend dating, which... Is like times two. So Charlie has to go out on dates with his women, the termets or whatever they're called. Girlfriends is just princesses. Uh, princesses. Yes, he's got to go out Termet? on dates with his... What the fuck is a termet? Is it a termite? Charmet. Like Prince Tar-met. Charming. Anyway. <laughs> he's got to go on dates with I'm glad princess. you gendered Charming and not Prince. <laughs> You guys, it's late at night. <laughs> Why would I do the logical thing? He's got to go on dates with the princesses, with the contestants on the show. Uh, but he's not very good at it. So Dev is like, well, why don't you go out on some pretend dates with me so that we can practice and I can like critique your performance on the pretend date. So then when you go on the other pretend dates, you can do better. I loved it. But then it evolves into... Practice kissing, practice sexing, practice. And like, it's not to the level of like, they've agreed to convince other people they're together. 
at all. They have to keep it high. They have to keep it like totally hidden. But it is really funny to watch them navigate the fake dating trope in a modern context. It's it's really good. There's a the, the boss who's running the the whole shebang mm-hmm. is an abusive parental figure that Dev especially has very complicated feelings towards. And I think that's often like an uncle who runs the estate for a duke who inherited too young in yes. a historical romance novel. So it was it's like I think it was fun in this one for me at least to identify the parallels to historicals because I actually think there were a lot of them. There were even though it was such like a modern context and yes. character. And then there, there, so Charlie does this. Actually, Charlie does all these grand gestures. Oh my. That's fun too. Yeah, I mean, yes, but Charlie's grand gestures are like very grand. Yeah. It's a grand gesture, but Charlie wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, every single one of them is, is really nice. I like them. I did too, and I don't want to say more than that without spoiling it, but suffice it to say that like, the final moment is the grand gesture to end all grand gestures. It's just, it's such a good fairy tale kiss ending. It's, it really, it's like a modern day queer fairy tale ending. And it's, I mean, it is a fantasy world. I don't think it could actually happen, but I loved it. And I just wanted to be caught up in it. I also found in small ways, and I don't mean this to be as critical as I think it's going to sound, I do feel like the characters took a backseat to the circumstance. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't necessarily know that I buy Charlie being willing to go on the show. I don't necessarily know that I buy either of them being willing to give up their privacy to the extent that they did. Right. But I kind of let that go for how fun the story was and how well the plot worked. But if you're a real stickler for consistent characterization, I don't know that that's one of this book's strengths. I think think that the characters, I think that everything we read about the characters in the book is consistent and how they act with each other is consistent. How they get to where they start the book, I think is where you're like, hmm, could that have happened? I, I don't know that I bought either of them participating in that grand, grand finale ending. But I just loved it, though. No, I loved it. That's uh, Once again, I'm not saying it bothered me. I'm saying I acknowledge that especially some of the big moments that the cameras caught, I see both of them being much more aware of that. Yeah. All right. I have to say I absolutely love the setup to this book. So you all know that we read primarily historical romance. However, when I was contacted uh, with an offer to read a romance that said, oh, yes, the lead on a dating reality show. So when I was contacted with an offer to read this book and it said this is about the lead on a reality TV dating show who has a better connection with his male producer than with any of the female co-stars or contestants, I I immediately wanted to read the book. Yes. Like, I'm sorry, you tell me that, I'm going to read this book. Like, I'm going to read it right away. So just the, the, the setup itself, I was like, this is great. And then as I was reading it, I was like, this is also really well written. 
I feel like the the bachelor research was like really well done. I loved it. Uh, one of my one of my favorite parts actually was in the beginning. Because she does this really, so Alison Cochran does this really great job of explaining why you watch The Bachelor. So she was like, well, we have to do this. It's Dev thinking or explaining something. He's like, we have to do this for the, the show's large conservative fan base. And then they also said, and it's larger feminist fan base that claims to watch, ironically. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she does, she does know her audience. <laughs> Because no matter how much I say I watch this show ironically, and I think I most of the time watch it ironically, there are parts where you just, you know, you grin and you're like, oh, they're falling in love or they're going to be together or whatever. Like, you still want the romance part. I kind of wish the book had done a better job explaining the appeal of the genre to people who don't get it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I don't think this book could have convinced me to become a big Bachelor reality TV fan. But I think I love that it called out the larger feminist fan base that claims to watch ironically. But like, I wish they delved a little more into the why. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to explain why. It's hard for me to articulate why. But I think that also would have been an opportunity to explain things like the producer jargon. That yeah, like it's true. Left me behind a little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is there is a lot of like bachelor jargon about producers, about the dates that they go on. Um, you know, I mean, yes, here they give them tiaras, but in the bachelor, it's roses, and it's this, it's almost the same exact thing. And like, I have enough of a cultural context of the bachelor from the one season I watched twenty years ago and Meg's existence now that like <laughs> most of what they were talking about with like group date stuff, I understood, but I. There were a couple of moments where I were like, I, I was wondering what the point was. Yeah. They're like, this person won the date. I'm like, wait, what does that mean? And I had to like think back to the repertoire. Like, I just think a little bit more. Yeah. Explanation of the setup could have helped for people like me who are really out of the loop. Yeah. For me, I was like, nope. I was like, this all makes perfect no, sense. It's all there for Meg. This is what baseball romance. This is Meg and I flipped. Like, what are you talking about me? No, makes total sense. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, for me, she did this really good job of capturing these dueling feelings that I feel towards the show, which is yeah. that like, yes, I want to watch because I want to see where the producers are manipulating, but I also want to watch because there is a love story. You know, I, I do review romance novels twice a week. <laughs> You know, I, I think I have some kind of affinity with, like, that yeah. that genre. No, I, I just think as an outsider, I, I think I wanted a little more peel back the curtain. Sure. But it was so much fun. And 99% of it made total sense, even as an outsider. And the main characters were so well-developed and so adorable. I really can't say enough good things about the construction of this novel. I mean, I, I actually believed, so it was a tough, it was a tough sell, but I did actually believe that this billionaire tech guru guy was first of all, not a total douche bro. Second of all, amazingly good looking and could lead a franchise like, ever after 
aka the bachelor i've seen some of those guys they're not all that hot most of them are very hot and <laughs> not all of them but you know the platonic ideal would be charlie yeah so he's very hot i'm not disputing charlie is very hot yeah. so so number one not a douche bro number two good looking and ripped enough to anchor a show but also thirdly have the struggles with mental health that Charlie does, which we will get into a little bit later, and still go on the show. So I was convinced by Charlie's character. Totally. I I thought he was great. And I really like Dev, too. And Dev, I think you buy this kid who wants to be on all the time for other people, who became obsessed with the, loves the idea of love so much but is sort of crippled by going beyond his comfort zone for well, a lot of and, different reasons. Yes. But, and then also for me as a, as a sort of, as a bachelor viewer and also someone who loves the idea of producer manipulation, having him be a producer who is also a nice guy was, was fun too. But you also got to see the legitimate struggle of being the nice guy who believes in the show, working with cynics who are just trying to get the right shot. Yep. And the naivety he sort of had to have about certain things. Well, and it's, I mean, I think it was a chosen naivety, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Very deliberate. Um, he had to have it to get through the day. So, so I believed in these two characters for sure. Um, so I know you talked, there's, it's, oh, there's a weird, I'm going to start that over. So some romance novels will have like a quote or something at the beginning of every chapter. And this book between certain chapters inserts production notes. Yeah. And I'm sure you loved it as the behind the scenes view. I actually have a nit to pick about them though. Okay. So Charlie goes by Charles on the show. That's true. He's Prince Charles. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> And it's very deliberate that, like, even Deb says, I need cologne model Charles mm -hmm. for this scene. And Charlie is the name that the people who love him call him. And right. then the, the name he feels like matches his identity. They use Charlie in the production notes. And that was actually something that kind of bothered me as a continuity error. Because I think that juxtaposition of, like, the face he wanted to present and trying to work through his own identity was one of the strengths of the book. Yeah. And I think by kind of using Charlie casually anywhere he was mentioned, unless it was specifically a scene meant to drive home the Charles point. Right. It, it, like, it stood out to me as jarring and distracted me from the text. Sure. I, I liked... The other thing I liked about the production notes, so I liked the behind-the-scenes aspect... I also liked how it it gave a little bit, uh, it gave humanity to the contestants who really are just afterthoughts, basically. Yep. In this romance, which I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest, is as it should be. If I'm reading a romance, I want to read a romance between my two main characters. Supporting cast is fine, but I don't need to go into their backstories and stuff. But the production notes were able to do that for me um, for many of the women who were contestants. 
And I also like how it was, it was some really good foreshadowing for the final denouement. Yes. So I liked it. There are a lot of supporting characters because there's the entire production staff. There's his parents. There's the contestants themselves. Um, there's, you know, his former coworker who he started the company with, Charlie's former coworker. Um, and I do think this presents a very idealized view of society. It does. I agree. It's, and I do think to a degree it made it difficult to differentiate between some of the characters mm-hmm. because they were all sensitive, woke, badasses with non-traditional sexual histories and a full, like, racially diverse, gender-diverse crew. I mean, yes, I agree. But I also, I want this world to exist. Like, I want to live in this world. So part of the pleasure of reading this book is the fact that it takes place in a world where all of the supporting characters are able to talk about the spectrum of sexuality, you know? And... I was just like, on the one hand, you're kind of thinking, okay, this is a bit much. But on the other hand, you're like, yeah, this is a bit much and I love it. Yeah, and I think it's also, I'm not going to hate on every woman being a badass who runs her mouth. Right. So the fact that that is profoundly unrealistic and also makes them kind of hard to tell apart, like, oh, which one was the sassy one? Oh, all of them. Oh, all of them, yeah. But I, I, do, I do agree with you that sometimes romances are meant to be escapist, and what's more escapist than, like, an accepting society? Oh, God, yeah, I know. All right, let's move into content warnings because there are a lot. Yeah, and I think one of the things I want to start with is we just talked about, like, the beautiful escapism of this book, and there is one element in which, for me, this was not an escape at all. right. So there are on-page anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and experiences with depression and depressive episodes. You guys, this is a content warning I wish I'd had before reading the book. I told, I texted Meg, I'm like, I picked all my nail polish off reading this book. Like, I, it was such a visceral description. I don't know that knowing just how descriptive it was that I would have chosen to engage with the content in the way I did. Yeah. And so... I, I do think it speaks to the quality of the writing. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, be aware that if you um, if you have experience with this, so if you experience it yourself or if you have loved ones or, or friends who have these issues and you have to engage with it in the real world, it's probably not like a really escapist book for you. And Meg and I were discussing in a couple of other episodes, but then also prior to recording, Helen Huang made a comment about how we engage with romance novels and we love romance novels because you're guaranteed the happily ever after. So you can sort of read them stress-free in a way. And while Dev and Charlie end up together, their mental health realistically isn't solved at the end of the book. And I think to a degree that exacerbated the stress I felt reading the mental health episodes because I don't expect to read a romance novel, like kind of nervous about where things are going to go. And I was Mm -hmm. nervous about their mental health. Yeah. Well, I think her, I think her quote is interesting too, because I think on the one hand you can, you can say, okay, I can enjoy this stress-free. But on the other hand, what she says is you can feel things more deeply because you know, it's going to be happy. Right. 
Right. I'm not stressed out about will there be a happy ending. Right. I phrased um, it weird, but yeah. But I think maybe that's part of it too, is like, you're like, yeah, I'm going to just enjoy and like feel all the feelings and you know feel all the emotions with this book. And one of those emotions is a panic attack. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, so to, I'm going to be honest, we took these um, content warnings from Allison Cochran's website. So she did a really great job of outlining what they are. So I want to give her kudos for that as well. And maybe you're thinking, Lane, you should read them. I have never read an author's note in my life. <laughs> and I, I should start, but it's not going to start now. So there are conversations surrounding OCD and mental illness stigmas, including workplace discrimination. Uh, there is a bunch of drinking and discussions of alcohol dependency. So this is also very, very accurate if you are a Bachelor viewer, although they don't often talk about the alcohol dependency part of it, just the drinking part. Yeah. There's also discussion of familial estrangement and rejection based on mental illness. And there are brief references to homophobia and racism, all challenged, and most of which are... Like, coming out of bad characters' mouths. Exactly. Homophobic and racist views are espoused by people you are supposed to identify as bad people, and they are called out for being bad people. Yep. That said, one of the things I loved about this book is Dev's complicity. Yes. Like, he does believe in it, and he has to work with all these people who don't, but he also has to watch these other producers while he's trying to be the good guy and do the right thing and, like, give people a love story and the ability to put their best foot forward. He knows plenty of his coworkers are not working toward that goal, and he just lets it happen. Yeah. Well, and I, another thing I really liked about the book was actually the, the complex feelings that many of the characters had to the executive producer, or I guess creator of the show as well. Because, like, yeah, they are all there because of her. She is the one who created everything. How do you... So on the one hand, they, like, respect her quite a bit but on the other hand she does some really shitty things and I also think you know one you've got workplace considerations like fear of alienating yourself to your boss but I think there's also this element that we all perceive when watching Hollywood that it's an even more personality driven industry mm -hmm. like you know, obviously we're in the midst now of the fallout from the Me Too movement and all of that. And so it's it's very believable that these sort of abuses were happening in that specific workplace environment. Oh, oh yeah, yes. There was nothing that happened that I was like, well, that couldn't happen. No. No. And I'd say it couldn't happen in a more traditional workplace, just to say, like, I think the stereotype is that it runs rampant in Hollywood. Right. So these are people trying to get ahead, and they've got this boss who's in a position of power who is not only saying, this is what my show looks like, and not only do we have the respect for her, she's also saying, but I know you ultimately want to sell your script, and I know mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Okay, how sexy is this book? Disclaimer, we are cis-hat women. Yes. I thought the love story was really believable and mm -hmm. I was glad it wasn't just like kiss and play to black because I feel like that can be reductive in the genre, but I did feel like it was a kind of sexy that was accessible to straight ladies. 
And that might be damning, but there you go. No, I agree with you. It is open door, but it's not super explicit. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, <laughs> you know, when there's a flow job, you know, when there's anal sex, but it's not like going into great detail the way it might in a more traditional, like historical romance. Well, I think it depends, right? Because I feel like some of the lack of explicitness, I think, also match the rom com tone. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I don't know that I'd want, like, a graphic description of a zipper being undone and the exact feel of an erection in the person's hand in, like, a rom-com. Yeah. Even though that might not bother me in another book. So I think some of it was a woman, a queer woman, writing a gay sex scene and some of it respectfully, and some of it was just the genre. But Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, you definitely can feel the sexual tension yep. and attraction with these characters. Like, when they finally do it, you're, like, very happy. Yes, we're all applauding. Golf claps, golf claps. <laughs> um, also, like, any self-respecting, queer, friendly, progressive workplace where everyone talks openly about their personal circumstances, um, there was a lot of consent, which was great. Yes. Yes, I, I I loved the way consent was handled. They talked about everything, both of them, you know, I don't know. And not just sexually, like, it starts in the very beginning of the book. Charlie has bad OCZ. Clearly, Deb, without knowing that, picks up on just how uncomfortable he was. And in their first scene together, Charlie basically says, please don't ever touch me without letting me know. Yeah. And from that point forward... Consent to touch is discussed, not just with Dev. I love that some of the female contestants just innately picked up on yep. some of his discomfort. And rather than, I mean, they didn't always react well. And there were some judgy, shitty comments. But like on the whole, once they realized it was a real problem, they intuitively started saying, is it okay if I? Is it okay if I hold your hand? Whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like the way consent was handled globally in this book was really good you know i i don't at the risk of verging into spoilers i liked how even within the construct of this like reality television that is not reality at all it is entirely scripted and staged and whatever he gravitated toward the women he could be honest with yeah that like there was the sense of for all that the show is inherently lying and pre- presenting false reality to the viewers or whatever, that at least with the women he felt like he cared about, there was honesty between them. Yeah. I think this book had a lot to say about like interpersonal connection more generally than sex. And I like consent was a part of all of that. Yes, absolutely. So the, I mean, the other thing that I really liked about the way consent was handled, as you mentioned, it's consent in every situation and about how you can pick up on it non-verbally. So like, yes, he would like it if you asked him, but you could figure out that there was an issue before he had to tell you. So I just feel like that presentation was really nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed the interpersonal dynamics. I'm not going to lie to you guys as listeners. Like, I don't know how I personally feel about this book or what I want to rate it. Because like I said, I struggled with some of the content because it was so well done. Right. 
Like, obviously, I think it's objectively good, but given the fact that I spent, like, half of it in the fetal position while reading, I don't know that I want to be like, five stars, because, whoosh, this was tough for me. Yeah. I mean, I will say that if you are even tangentially a Bachelor viewer, you'll probably be really into that aspect of this book. So as long as the content warnings don't trigger you personally, I would say you should read it. Like hands down, it's it's a great book. It was a fun ride when I wasn't in the fetal position. Right. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe.